Okay, thank you and uh, good morning everyone. Um, as indicated in the title, I'm going to tell you something about GalvMed and the work that we've been doing trying to develop uh, livestock vaccines that meet the needs of the poorest uh, livestock keepers. I'm going to focus on some of the lessons that we've learned, uh, but I think they're equally applicable to, to anybody working on vaccines. So a little bit of the, the background, some pretty frightening figures here. Um, you can read them largely yourself. Uh, suffice to say, there are hundreds of millions of people who do not have enough money to buy food. And over, well, over 800 million of those are actually dependent on livestock for their livelihood. Um, partly for food, but it's not just food, it's, it's for transportation, uh, for draft animals, providing fertilizer for the crops, uh, and, and for income. They're often the poor person's only asset. Um, that and the cooking bowl is, is, is all that some of these people have. Uh, infectious disease actually destroys these assets. Um, every year, 25% of poor livestock keepers' animals die from diseases, many of which could be controlled through drugs or vaccination. And because much of the work and the labour is carried out by women, especially in Africa, um, they're the group that's impacted more, the most. It's their discretionary income. So infectious diseases are, are a problem all over the world. It, it's... Uh, for both humans and livestock. Um, but it impacts people in less developed countries the most, and it's getting worse in those countries the most. We can see on this graph um, how the population is increasing. Everybody probably knows that we hit 7 million this year, uh, last month, I, I think, or the beginning of, of, of this month. Um, the world population is growing at 200,000 every day. So a good-sized city every day. How are we going to feed all these extra people uh, and break that vicious cycle of hunger, disease, and poverty? Well, we have this challenge to feed the world, and, it, and it's getting worse. The population is growing. Um, there's actually greater demands, growing affluence in China and India. Um, as people become more affluent, they want to eat more meat. Um, also, food crops are often diverted to, to other um, cash crops as well as feeding animals. Um, in the last few years, we've seen a push for biofuels. That's all crop land taken away from producing food. We've got other challenges happening. Global warming, um, especially this year, it seems we've seen a, a lot of extreme droughts. We've seen extreme floods. Rising fuel costs across the world also has a huge impact on, on uh, food costs. I think in, in Kenya now, um, the average household is spending 45% of their income on, on food alone. And that's, that's actually tripled in the last two years. Uh, just to give you a similar figure, in the UK it's 10% and in the USA 8%. That was a drought. There's just there's no water for the animals. 
So, a billion people without en enough to eat, um, undernutrition causing much of the disease in the world. Some of the key nutrients are only available from, from livestock. We're not talking about livestock or crops here. Uh, we, we need both. There are advantages of livestock. Um, animal protein actually has a, a much higher value um, both in in consumption but also in the, the revenue generated when you produce it. Um, livestock can graze on marginal lands uh, that can't actually be used for, for producing crops. Clearly for nomadic people livestock is probably the only option um, because they can't take their fields with them. They can also be moved in times of drought or floods or war. Um, and it's more than just a source of, um, of, of food. Um, if somebody in, in parts of Africa wants to send their children to school, then they sell an animal to pay for it. If they don't have those animals, the children don't go to school. Often the livestock producer and the crop producer are the same person. They keep animals and they produce crops. So where's all the extra food going to come from? There's no more land available in the world. We've got a growing population and so we've got to increase productivity. In places this means intensification as we've seen in, in the western systems. Now that works particularly well for, for poultry and pigs uh, where animal diseases can be, can be well controlled in these intensive systems and you start to see that happening more and more especially around uh, cities in Africa. Um, but for the rural uh, livestock keeper that productivity has got to come from a reduction in loss due to disease. We've got to stop the animals dying off. And that's why vaccination comes in. Vaccination has got a number of advantages. Um, it prevents the disease impact directly through stopping the animal being ill or dying. Um, through zoonotic diseases, many of the uh, diseases of livestock can be passed on to humans uh, and then you get a, a direct impact there. Um, food safety, food security, um, is obviously another direct impact, uh, but general losses due to reduced production. Also, there's some other effects, um, as we see there. Vaccinated animals that are disease-free and can be certified disease-free are able to be traded much more easily, especially across borders. And that's a, a real revenue generation. The animals are worth more, and so they're worth investing in. Animal welfare, well, healthy animals are happier animals. So why is it not happening? Why are 25% of animals dying every year from diseases, many of which could be controlled? It's not about money. Um, this was an amazing figure when I first heard it, but poor livestock keepers, talking the very poorest people here, actually spend the same percentage of the value of their animals on livestock animal health products as a western farmer does. It's roughly the same. The animals are worth more, so they spend more in absolute terms. But as a percentage, 
They're very canny people. They're entrepreneurs. They know exactly what their animal is worth. They know how much a goat's worth, how much is a cow worth, how much is a milking uh, cow worth. You can go and look it up if you're in one of these African countries, Tanzania, open the paper and it'll tell you the current, current price of, of, of what, an, what an animal's worth. Um, especially now with the advent of mobile phones. I don't know whether you find it, you can get great mobile coverage anywhere in Africa just about. Walking through the bush, four bar signal. Can't get that at home. Um, but they now, before they take their animals to the market, they call up on the mobile phone, talk to the brother in the town, find out the price of the animal, and then they decide whether to take it. So they know what that animal's worth, and they know whether they want to invest in it. So a very different situation to the, to the human health situation. Amazingly, we're talking about um, the Western world and human med uh, vaccines just a few minutes ago, um, having to give the... Uh, the vaccines away, government funded schemes. This is a private market. But they don't have the products. That's the question. Why not? Well, in the last few years, we've actually stopped investing in creating new animal health products that meet the needs of the world's poorest. Most of the research in tropical diseases happened probably the 60s to the 90s. Um, not so much recently. That's in the universities and in the, in the government institutes. On the commercial side, the animal health companies are focused on the, the Western markets, especially intensive production of, of animals and also in companion animals. A lot of research now going on companion animal disease. And donors have got fed up of giving money away to academics who are doing great research, but it, there's no products coming out of it. Um, and that's resulted in, in the amount being spent on, on research on tropical livestock disease actually dropping. So only 4% of total international aid budget actually goes to agriculture. And yet, agriculture makes up 30 to 40% of the gross domestic products of many of these countries. And only a fraction of that actually goes to the livestock sector. So there's lots of neglected livestock diseases where tools are not being developed. Back in 2000, um, when the Millennium Development Goals, which you've probably all heard of, were being developed, uh, the UK Department for International Development called a meeting. Um, they got a lot of people involved in research, um, a lot of academics, um, together and said we've been putting millions and millions of pounds over many years to try and produce products for the poor livestock keepers. Nothing's happened. Why not? Um, I was one of two industry people invited to that and I rather naively suggested at the time that um, well it's because they're doing great research in academia but they don't know how to develop products. They don't know they don't have the right target product profiles. They don't know how to run the right proof of concepts. They don't know how to do registration studies. It's just not happening. They can't manage a portfolio. Um, what we need is to come together because industry is not going to do it because there's no commercial market for them. And that seemed to resonate with the Department for International Development. And five years after that, Galvmed was actually, um, actually born 
Um, so GalvMed, Global Alliance for Livestock Veterinary Medicines. So GalvMed, it's a, a not-for-profit public-private partnership. So bringing together industry, academia, government work. It's a registered charity. Very much a purport for focus, working with key partners to make a sustainable difference to in access to animal health products, specifically for the poor livestock keepers. Our target when we set out was to develop four to six vaccines, uh, pharmaceuticals or diagnostic products by 2015 that actually really meet the needs of the poor livestock keepers and to ensure their sustainable delivery. And I'll say a bit more about that later. We were initially sponsored by the UK Department for International Development. Good old Bill Gates came in and, and gave us a, a very hefty grant, um, which has been keeping us going since. We've also received a, a significant amount of funding from the European Commission. So what do we actually do? Well, they were the, the partners that were working before. And we like really to see uh, Galmed as the, as the missing piece in, in the jigsaw. We try and hold the whole thing together. Um, what we do, we determine the need and create target product profiles. We then look at the whole range of technologies available and try and build partnerships to actually deliver these products. And we're actually making good progress and I'll talk you through some of the examples of that. So, as I mentioned, these are the, the four things that uh, Galvmed are actually doing. Quite unusual skills, um, certainly technical skills, but competence in uh, animal health product development and registration, being able to manage a project uh, and portfolio management, knowledge of the development agenda, and some other bits. Uh, just focus initially on these things. These things are probably things you don't find outside of, the, outside of industry. They are very much a, a commercial approach. Um, so we don't go out there and find a new technology and say, right, we're going to make this into a, a vaccine and then plow ahead and keep plowing money and if, keep it going. We actually manage this on a portfolio. We look at a, a whole range of approaches. We might do pilot studies in some of them. Then we'll kill the ones that aren't going to do it and focus on those with the, the strongest chance of success. So it's very much a commercial uh, way of doing it. When it was set up, um, a number of the founder members came from the um, animal health industry. People like Pfizer, Intervet, Merrill, um, they were on the board. A number of the people who staffed the organisations came from there and they continued to, su to support GalMed to be able to give you that extra expertise in, in those areas. But we have partners beyond just those animal health companies, um, certainly with the donors, with governments, regulatory authorities and especially academia. The, the key part to all this, though, is building partnerships. Um, it's a virtual organisation. Uh, although we've got a lot of expertise, we don't have any labs, so we can't run experiments. Um, we've got no manufacturing capacity, and we've got no sales force. So everything we do is uh, run through partners. So really, 
brokering partnerships is probably the, the core expertise of the organisation. So what have we been working on? Well, these are the priority diseases. They're those diseases which have the greatest impact on the poor livestock keepers, uh, especially those for which um, there aren't available products or the products that are available are not appropriate for use in, in the regions of the world um, where the poorest people are. So you can see a mixture here. We've got viral diseases, bacterial diseases, protozoal diseases um, uh, across a, a range of species. So a much more complex portfolio than perhaps Garvey, who've only got one host uh, species to worry about. We've got many host species to worry about and, and many types of uh, diseases. We've primarily focused on vaccines uh, for the reasons that they mentioned first earlier. They're probably the most cost-effective um, intervention that, that we can do. But sometimes we have to look at pharmaceuticals to be used either in combination or, or in place. And also doing work on diagnostics. Sometimes you can't run an effective vaccination campaign um, without having good diagnostics in place. We primarily... Uh, talking vaccines though. Um, sometimes new vaccines where vaccines don't exist. Other times improved vaccines, one with better safety or, or better efficacy. Sometimes just more appropriate vaccines, uh, ones with smaller pack sizes or having sufficient thermostability so that they don't need a cold chain. The ones that are, are bolded on, on the um, are ones where we already have active projects running. In fact, even some of these other ones, um, we do actually have small probe projects, such as African swine fever, uh, where we're testing out. In our first few years of operation, we've made good progress for relatively small amounts of funding. Some of you I know are familiar with um, veterinary vaccines, other ones uh, are not. One big difference between the veterinary field and the human field is it's much cheaper and much quicker to be able to get into the target animal. Um, you don't have extensive safety studies to run before you can get into the, into the animal. That means it costs much less and you can get there quicker, which again saves money. So very soon you know whether um, a product's likely to make it all the way or is it likely to die. And that's what costs so much in human health. It's not the products that make it. It's all the products that die on the way and some of them who, that um, fail in the final stages. You can spend a fortune on them and that raises the whole cost of, of the products. So for a, a new animal health product, it could be less than uh, 5 million to develop uh, a monovalent vaccine. Um, even working to a, a quality level for approval by the more uh, rigorous EU regulatory authorities. However, there are a few challenges to, to getting there. Um, we heard earlier about the, the, the valley of death. Um, actually, having worked in this valley of death for a, a few years now, it's actually not so bad. Um, Having said that, once you get out of that first valley, there's actually some other worse valleys to follow, so I'll, I'll talk to some of those later. So when Galvmed was set up, 
our real focus was on this stage to look at some of these things that were available in discovery and try and get them through to the marketplace. However, as we'll see later, the products continue after regulatory approval, especially when we're talking about commercialisation and sustainable access. So let's look at some of these challenges in a bit more detail. Going right back to the beginning, uh, discovery research. Target product profiles are absolutely key. It's, it's got to become almost before you start thinking about... Um, what your vaccine is going to be. Uh, it's what's, what, what's the real need. And what's needed for the poor livestock keeper isn't necessarily the same as needed for a, a commercial western type operation. And since the target product profiles are not the same, then the technology might be slightly different. And consequently from that, the proof of concepts studies will need to be different. To try and exemplify that, uh, I'll, I'll talk you through a couple of diseases. Newcastle disease. Um, this is a, a global disease. Um, it's a viral disease of, of poultry. It can cause up to 100% uh, mortality, mortality when you have an outbreak. In Africa alone, 589 million chickens are at risk of Newcastle disease. For example, in Tanzania, it's estimated that 30 to 80% of the 27 million village chickens die annually from Newcastle disease. But it's well controlled. We have Newcastle disease in the UK and elsewhere in the Western um, population. Um, there are many vaccines available for treating treating chickens, you can inject the young chicks, uh, but increasingly you don't even inject the chicks, you inject the eggs. Uh, so what you've got, got here is actually uh, an Innova injector, it's a robotic device, um, gets, the, gets the eggs, vaccinates the embryo through the eggshell, and nothing needs to be handled, you can push it through very quickly. Uh, so commercial product there, Innovax, um, administered by robot, uh, product needs to be stored in liquid nitrogen and it comes, the commercial product's 3,000 dose vials. Well that's great for the uh, western producer, it's not exactly uh, ideal for the uh, backyard poultry keeper is it? Um, never mind the robots, needles and syringes are actually an expensive luxury for the poor livestock keepers and if they do have them they're liable to be reused and used in multiple animals, or even worse, used across species. And that, that's a big problem. You can actually get spread of diseases. So we don't really want a product given by injection. We certainly don't want one that needs to be stored in liquid nitrogen. Uh, ideally, we'd like a thermostable vaccine that can be put on the shelf. And we certainly don't need 3,000 dose vials if somebody's only got uh, 10 to 15 chickens. So the product profile's very different, and that's why the market's not being served. So what have Galvmed been doing? Well, we've adopted a couple of um, approaches. Both of them meet the target product profile in that they're thermostable and they're not administered by injection. 
The first one is a solution vaccine, and it's given by eye drop. Some plastic tubes drop in the eye of the chicken, and the vaccine works. Um, it's been available for a while, but it's never been registered as a thermostable vaccine or in small pack sizes. So the work that we've been doing in Africa has been to get that strain of vaccine registered, um, to get a standard registration dossier, because the vaccine's been used all over Africa, but um, nobody's quite sure what strain they're using. There's no quality control in a lot of the places. Um, so try and get some quality into the system. In India, we were adopting a different approach. Um, the government has been going around talking to academics and, and research institutes and saying, well, this is, this is what we're doing. These are the diseases that you might be interested in. What sort of technologies um, have you got? We actually talked to one um, university in India um, who said, yeah, we've got looked at Newcastle disease vaccine. We've... Uh, we actually showed you could put it into either a freeze-dried powder or we could actually pellet it. And um, it could be administered in feed. You just got a pre-mix which you sprinkled out to your chickens. The chickens came along, ate the pellets and lo and behold vaccinated. But there was no interest in it from, uh, from industry. Of course they're busy using their robots. And this was just parked on the shelf. But we've sort of taken it off the shelf now and are moving that forward into registration studies. So we've got registration studies for both of these products going on and pilot programs in both Africa and South Asia. And we're now actually at the stage of identifying the commercial manufacturers for those. <coughs> Slightly different disease, Rift Valley Fever. Um, this one's a zoonotic disease. Um, it impacts humans as well as the animals. Um, problem is with this disease, the viral disease, um, it's transmitted by um, mosquitoes, although you can get infected uh, directly from animal to human by sort of inhaling a, sort of a blood mist. Um, causes abortion and, and mortality. As you can see there, very recently we've had um, outbreaks and even in the last two years we've had outbreaks all across Asia and, um, and Africa. The problem is with this, with this disease is its irregular occurrence. And there is a vaccine out there, but two issues with it. One, it's not very safe. In fact, because it's not got quite the quality control on it, sometimes it also uh, causes abortions itself, and sometimes they worry whether it's the, the vaccine or the disease itself. Uh, and in fact, in the last outbreak, less than 25% of the people uh, vaccinated their animals, even when vaccine was made, uh, made available by government, because they didn't trust it. And they're not going to use the vaccine routinely because this is a challenge that only comes along once every five to seven years. So how do we address that? Well, in this case, we're looking at uh, a combination vaccine um, with another component that protects against a routinely important disease. Um, 
In this case, lumpy skin disease or sheep and goat pox is sometimes known. Um, to try and encourage routine use. So again, we've managed to identify some recent technology, uh, a new Rifali fever vaccine developed in, in South Africa. Um, that was a monovalent. But we've been supporting, looking at two things. One's a combination vaccine um, with lumpy skin disease. And studies are now going on with that uh, across Africa. Uh, we're also supporting the monovalent elsewhere in Africa. Um, this is a much safer vaccine. A monovalent is going to be important if there's an outbreak, but you want the product there in immediately. So we're working with the manufacturers in South Africa and the registration authorities um, across the rest of Africa to try and look at how we build a, a vaccine bank. Obviously, those are big policy issues that, that need to be addressed. We're also looking at a, a vectored vaccine. So this time we're putting a, an RVF antigen into a lumpy skin disease vector. And again, that product, um, which again will be used routinely, is in development. Um, that one may be parked if, if the, the direct combination actually works instead of the, the multivalent. So I mentioned the, the poor poor technology. So what are the technologies that are needed by the, the poor livestock keepers? Sometimes they're the, they're the same as those um, required by, by other users. Um, we still need antigens for some difficult organisms, um, especially protozoa, East Coast fever, um, trypanos oops, trypanosomes are probably one of the holy grails for, for vaccine discoverers, a really difficult target which we're working on. Arthropods and, and helminths, um, again, we, we don't really have effective vaccines yet. Some of the viruses are, are still giving us problems, whether it's African swine fever, foot and mouth disease, avian influenza. We heard earlier about uh, TB. We also need the right adjuvants and vectors Single-shot delivery. Um, often the animals are, are not just in the field next to you. They're wandering around the bush. You don't want to have to keep rounding them up to be able to give them a, a second dose. So really just needing to give one dose of vaccine to give protection is ideal. Overcoming maternal immunity is just as important in, in our field. Duration of immunity is probably even more important because the animals tend to live a, a bit longer than in Western systems to get up to the, the right size for, for eating. Formulations and delivery systems, thermostability is obviously very important, and needleless injections, again. So just some of the things that, again, we're looking at. Um, Solar-powered fridges and... These nice little packages, um, which can be used for transporting things um, for prolonged periods at very cold temperatures. Whatever the technology, it's important to establish early whether it will ultimately deliver the target product profile. And that proof of concept needs to be more than just an interesting academic paper. It really has to relate to how the product will be used in, in the field. But at least in the animal health area, 
we can get into the animals early. The next stage of the development challenge, once we've got a proof of concept, is running the safety, efficacy and quality studies that will allow us to turn uh, the experimental vaccine into a product. So these carefully controlled studies are much more expensive and so if a product's not going to make it all the way we need to find out as, as early as possible. Nevertheless, although these products are targeted at the animals of the poor in Africa and Southern Asia, there's no reason why they should be poor quality. So we run the same sort of safety and efficacy studies as those used in the West, whether that means running to USDA, EMEA or, or other standards. And finding the right partner to do these studies is actually key to what GalvMed does. Ideally, we'd like to run these studies in disease-endemic countries. But sometimes, and unfortunately, we found to our cost, the local CROs are not up to the task, even with some support. Um, and it's actually turned out quicker and cheaper to run them right the first time in, in more established CROs. Sometimes we, we can do a balance. The sorts of issues that we've, we've come up with... Um, Failure to work to, to protocols and, and quality standards, getting the right documentation that you need in place to actually have registration studies. Some of the CROs just aren't used to doing operating at, at that level. Self-interest can work against timely kill decisions. If this is the only study that they're running, that study is actually employing the people there, and if that project dies... Um, then their livelihood is, is going away. And we found out, again, to our cost, things have been kept, kept going um, because people couldn't bear to say, it's not worked. Whereas we need to know as soon as possible if it's, it's not worked. And the length of studies, kind of related to that, they shouldn't be delayed by the, how long it takes a PhD to, to get enough data for his thesis or the length of a postdoctor. Um, is 10 years in place. The length of the study should be what it takes. We can't afford to just drag things out. So what we've had to do is, is really tie our, our funding to, the, to really to delivery milestones and, and go no-go decisions. So GalvMed doesn't give the money up front. It gives money on, on, on delivery. And monitoring, boy, that's critical. But there are good partners out there. Um, another project, um, porcine cystocercosis, this pig tapeworm. Um, you may be familiar with this. Um, the humans, the actual sort of the target host, but there's an intermediate host in the pig, so um, the eggs are passed, passed out from the human, ingested by the pig, and then encyst in the pig meat, which is then ingested by the human, and the cycle goes round. Sometimes, if that cycle doesn't, is diverted slightly, we get cysts forming in the, in the brain of the human. And uh, neurocystisocosis is actually the, the most frequent preventable cause of epilepsy. Huge, huge numbers in India 
seem to have this condition. Most of the epilepsy there was, was, is caused by this. And yet, this is a potential eradicable parasite. To give you some feel for it, health cost due to neurocystisocursis in Cameroon is estimated at 13.5 million. In Central and West Africa, the annual losses due to condemnation of, of pig carcasses, because you can see the cysts in the, in the pigs, uh, was running at over 25 million. It can be controlled um, by sanitation if you break the cycle, um, but too often that doesn't work. So you can see the issue here. We have a a latrine here, but the outflow of the latrine runs, runs down here, and this is where the pigs are. Um, so you need a, a multiple approach. So on, on this one, we're working with public health bodies and animal health bodies to try and break it in, in all ways. So a vaccine for humans, um, better sanitation for the humans, a vaccine for the pigs, and, and treatment for the pigs. So galvanized control really is on, on twofold. One is the, the treatment for pigs, uh, an anthelmintic to kill the tapeworm, and then a vaccine to stop them becoming reinfected in, in the future. So we have two components to this. The vaccine, there's actually been a vaccine which I think was greater than 99% effective in experimental studies. It must be well over 10 years when that result came out. It's been sitting around and people have been playing with it and there's been no take-up of it at all, even though it, it was shown to work. Oxfendazole and anthelmintic, again, used for many years, commercial product, used all around the world. Um, yeah, that will clear pigs from tapeworms. Um, what Galvmed done has been able to push this forward by bringing together organizations. So you can see we cover all around the world. So safety and efficacy studies in Peru where there's big outbreaks. Um, Indian immunologicals are actually doing the, the process development and the manufacture of the vaccine to GMP standards. Residue studies done in Argentina. GMP production of the Oxfendazole in Morocco and marketing studies around the world. So we just need to go where the skills and the expertise lay. But the criteria is based on their ability to deliver quality standards in a timely manner and at a competitive price. Moving on to registration. Um, the purpose of the development program is to generate the data for registration, proving safety, quality and efficacy uh, to meet the needs of the regulatory authorities in the countries where the product is going to be used. But what are those uh, regulatory requirements and standards, and who sets them? That's a bit of a problem, really, because there's lots of countries. If we take Africa, for example, many countries, little harmonization of regulatory requirements. Though increasingly, people are starting to think about it in these countries. Internally produced vaccines in many African countries don't need to be registered. Imported vaccines that come from Europe or the US uh, can be imported just on a free sales certificate. There's very little in-country regulatory infrastructure in place for veterinary vaccines. 
GalvMed's approaches with the new vaccines, and we have moved some into to registration, have been met with a livestock vaccine. Oh, that's interesting. We've never had one of those before. What do we need to do? Um, or um, in another country, they didn't have any vaccine regulatory people, so they gave it to the poisons board. Uh, so, so they weren't quite sure what to do with it either. Or sometimes um, trying to apply human pharmaceutical standards to veterinary vaccines. Um, it, it's difficult. So GalfMed has been working to try and address some of these things. One, facilitating the harmonization of vaccine regulatory issues. Working with the OIE who set the, the standards for um, livestock products. Um, one of the best, first things, the most useful things we do is, is ask the question, who's actually responsible in each of the countries? We now have a list. That, that didn't exist before. Uh, and we started to um, set up training programs for registration agencies in, in these countries. And we're supporting in UEMA, um, trying to actually put in place some of those guidelines for um, regulatory standards working with PANVAC, the Pan-African Vaccine Centre. Then moving on to production. Quality is really the, the issue there. Um, vaccine manufacture in Africa is a major issue. Um, contrast with India, uh, which is blessed with excellent vaccine manufacturers for both human and livestock vaccines who work to GMP standards and export all over the world. But in Africa, um, many former government-funded manufacturers are now have very poor infrastructure, they lack quality control on the standards, and they have poor training in both the mechanics and business of vaccine manufacture. Yet, Countries would like to use locally produced vaccines, if at all possible. So GalvMed's been supported by the European Commission through the African Union Inter-African Bureau for Animal Resources to try and make a difference to the capacity and quality of African vaccine production. So the sorts of things that we've been doing is looking at the, the distribution systems um, from those labs, conducting market surveys on vaccination needs, um, it, it, it sounds obvious and, and trivial, but the way vaccine was being produced, um, nobody quite knew how much was needed. Um, it was only produced when the governments had some spare money that they could send out there or when there was an outbreak. And then there was often enough money for the first vaccination, but not enough for the follow-up vaccination. Upgrading of laboratory facilities. Uh, training in operation management and technical assistance. How do you price a vaccine? They, they had no idea to do that because traditionally vaccines were sort of given away by the government. Uh, provisions of support mechanisms, the implementation of quality assurance and standardising production through having registration dossiers. And we've actually been working with a number of laboratories across Africa um, to try and improve um, both the infrastructure and the capability and capacity uh, with a focus on these diseases of impact to the, to the poor livestock keepers. 
Um, it's had a huge impact, which has been very widely recognised by both government donors uh, and the businesses. Just to give you an idea uh, of the impact, uh, and, and this is just one component, which was the uh, some of the, the, the capital impacts. So introducing some automation equipment, um, new um, manufacturing equipment, so for this particular one, which is the National Vaccine Institute in, in Ethiopia, we've actually doubled, more than doubled, the capacity of that uh, organisation, just from the capital um, bits alone. But even greater value has actually come from, from the training that we've actually given that staff. Um, we've worked with organisations such as Pfizer, Intervet, Seva, Merial, who've put people in there to sort of look at the processes, what they're doing, train them. We've been working with the Open University to provide training in, in business management. Um, again, trivial things, it's uh, when they sell the vaccine, how do they control the flow of the money so that they can reinvest it to produce the next batch of vaccine? Um, trivial, but uh, not been done in the past. Example where we've made a difference, East Coast fever. Um, so another prosoil parasite carried on by ticks. Huge impact. Killed more than a million cattle each year in, the, in, East, in Eastern Africa. There was a vaccine available. It's been available for years. It's called the infection treatment method. You infect the animal um, with live parasites, a defined dose of live parasites, and immediately treat it with an antibiotic to kill the parasites. And that gives lifelong protection. But it wasn't being used. Why wasn't it being used? Well, there wasn't a commercial manufacturer. It was being produced in a, a research institute as a sort of a, a sideline. Uh, there was no registration dossier. Um, so most of the, the knowledge of how this vaccine was produced sat in the head of one man who was, I think, getting towards his 70s um, and due to retire. So what Galvmed did is went, looked at that, created a registration dossier, um, which has been registered already in three countries and hopefully in Uganda soon. Um, we've already produced another big vaccine batch. So we've, and over 200,000 animals have been dosed to date following that. We've now moved to commercialization and, and more robust manufacture at a new African Union plant in, uh, in Malawi. And we're working on distribution networks as well as improving that process further. So the final step is getting the product to the poor livestock keepers. Uh, these may be close to a town, but in many cases they're far away uh, fr from the road. I've already talked about cold chains. Um, but one of the big things is, is quality. 67% um, of products in the informal sector were substandard, either not up to standard or, or fraudulent quality. Um, in the formal sector, it was actually better. Only 64% didn't meet quality control standards. So uh, a major issue here. Uh, and this needs both regulation for, for new products and quality control for, for existing ones. Trust is not just about quality, though. It's also about reliability of delivery. 
there's a very poor record of continuous delivery of vaccines from government or donor-funded schemes. Sustainability needs the commercial market. So again, totally different to the human area. This, this one has to go through a commercial market to, to be worthwhile. But it is more complicated. If we look at a, a typical um, Western-type distribution, we have the manufacturer, we might have a distributor, and then it goes either to the clinics or to the commercial farmers. To get down to these poor livestock keepers, we have a distributor and then a retailer in the rural area who resells it to market, and then there's vaccinators out there who actually get there. So to make this work, we both need to stimulate supply and make sure that everybody along here is financially incentivized, but also stimulate demand. And when we can do that, we can put in place a value chain. So Galvmed sees success as products in the hands of the poor livestock keepers. One of the approaches we've been adopting to that is we've been oops, supporting development of a, a franchise system, um, a branded network of 150 outlets in Kenya, each providing quality um, products. But there's some policy issues here as well. So, I'm quickly going to finish with some questions. Um, it's cheaper and faster to develop animal health vaccines than human vaccines, and the need is just as great. So, how do we alert everybody to the opportunities that animal health medicines offer? Well, me coming along giving talks like this is, is, is one of them, but it needs to be rolled out beyond that. How do we encourage academics to work with the animal health industry and the PDPs? to look at viable product profiles and conduct meaningful proof of concepts rather than them doing do lots and lots of work and then saying, well, actually, if only you'd talked to us at the beginning, we could have had something that would have been useful. How do we get the funding for that, especially raising donors' awareness to the links between livestock health and poverty? Then the questions around veterinary harmonisation, sustainable value chains, and quality questions. Those are all the, the issues... Um, that we need to deal with. So the barriers and challenges are, are very great to getting uh, new vaccines into the hands of the poor livestock keepers, but they can be overcome. The solutions do exist uh, in innovative technologies and expertise around the world, but we have to work through public-private partnerships to do it. So please consider the needs of the poor livestock keeper in your own work, um, and I think we can really make an impact here, because if we do, the rewards um, are very tangible. And I'll just leave and finish with that quote. Thank you.
does work differently with animals then? Because when a chicken... I think the animal the answer is some animals and some diseases. It's, it's common in chicken, actually, to induce vaccination in eggs for quite a range of diseases. So but, but the chicken immune systems work actually different. differently. Yeah. Than <coughs> I think the, the time scale, if you vaccinate after day 18, then you can the egg, then there's an immune response before that. It's a critical time frame. But what did you expect? Well, I don't know anything about it, but that, that the if you put an antigen in uh, with an embryo, chicken embryo, that the embryo sees the antigen as uh, not uh, uh, so, so, yeah, 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 that's right. But after day eighteen, it's fine. Sorry. Uh, what exactly it makes the animal vaccine study shorter? Is it you don't do immunogenicity study? You don't do uh, safety and uh, no, you, you you do all those things. But I mean, it's just you don't need to go through masses of safety studies before you can test it in an animal. The safety studies are done. Oh, they're done in the same. So you don't need pre-other safety studies. You go directly to And you can run efficacy against the disease straight away. In the relevant species, rather than mm. having to go from urine to primates to humans. We, we miss all those today. Okay, um, one last question there. I was just trying to figure out, is the focus of government mainly on domesticated uh, uh, livestock versus the which are made on large scales uh, by this commercial... Yes, it's, it's on, on the needs of the poor livestock keeper. Yeah. So, Michael, my last question and we break out for lunch. Any of the affordable technologies developed for veterinary vaccines for poor markets, have they been adopted by industry for the development of second generation products for new markets? There is a feedback in that we work very closely with, with both groups. Um, both in, in industry, there's, there's that feedback uh, within industry, but also in, in terms of the donors. So in, in the Gates Foundation, we, we, we sit down with the Gates Foundation and say, well, what technologies are we using? What are human health using? Um, for example, in the, in the TRIPS vaccine, um, the ultimate target for one of the projects is a, a human trip vaccine, but we're actually testing it out in, in cattle first.